Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. I'm Fiona Sutherland, dietitian from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I interview dietitians from all over the world who are experts in health at every size, the non-diet approach and mindfulness-based practice. These are a collection of interviews by a dietitian for dietitians and nutritionists so that we can build a strong community of wonderful professionals who share an inclusive vision of well-being for everybody in everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Hello again, Mindful Dietitians. Welcome back for another episode of the interview series. And today it's my enormous pleasure to introduce you to our health at every size and eating disorder colleague, Sumner Brooks, who is from Portland, Oregon. You will have already probably heard of Sumner. She is the amazing producer and director of EDRD Pro, which is shortly to be released online all over the world. So unlike a conference where you have to pay for flights and registration and accommodation and and everything else on top of it, this is available from the comfort of your own home. And seriously, I'm just so impressed. It's the fact that one person can come up with this and pull it all together is just honestly absolutely incredible. If you haven't already taken a look at it, it's available on her website, which is www.eattolivehappy.com. And a link to that will be in the notes at the end of the interview. So a little bit about Sumner. She is a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counsellor. She specialises in eating disorders and in gastrointestinal health. She's been mostly working as an outpatient dietitian um, and she has a former business called Not On A Diet. She definitely works from a non-diet approach and is really super passionate about health at every size and eating disorder recovery. She spends a lot of her personal and professional time fighting diet culture as well as juggling being a mum of a two and a half year old daughter. So Sumner's got a lot going on but she is so generous with her time and her energy and it was such a great pleasure to speak with her. Not only that, she is the author of a book called Savvy Girl, A Guide to Eating, which I reviewed for her a couple of years ago now. It was released in 2014 and I loved it. Honestly, it, it was at the time the first of its kind and I still haven't really found a book uh, like it. It's really suitable for those um, early teens to mid-teens uh it's designed for girls and I think it would be great if, if um, parents and daughters can kind of read it together and it's a great body positive, um, health at every size friendly kind of book. So if you haven't come across that, I really like it. It's really fantastic. So I hope you really enjoy our interview. We had lots of fun and yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll be in touch very soon. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. Today I have the enormous pleasure of speaking to my wonderful colleague or our wonderful colleague Sumner Brooks who I'm chatting to from Portland, Oregon today. So I guess um, Sumner we're you know we're getting a little bit cooler here in Australia and I, I'm guessing things are warming up a little over there are they? Oh, a little bit. I think we've had a break of, of sunshine or two in our rain clouds today. <laughs> yeah, that's always good because I'm guessing in the Pacific Northwest that any sunshine is welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we race outside when, it, when the sun is shining. Oh, uh, of course, of course. Well, we're in the, we're in the far south too in, uh, in Melbourne, so we tend to do a little bit the same thing. So totally understand that. Yeah. Um, so Sumner, you and I have um, connected for quite a number of years now, I guess, um, starting off with your really wonderful book, Savvy Girl Eating, which you uh, released in 2014. And that was when we, we first kind of came across each other. And then we reconnected recently because you have, uh, well, just about to launch an incredible, really creative and innovative um, online program called EDRD Pro. So for those those of you who are not sure what um, EDRD Pro stands for, it's, uh, I'm guessing, oh, well, Sumner, you can tell us about sure. EDRD Pro. <laughs> Thanks. I'm so excited about it. EDRD Pro Symposium stands for just what you thought, Eating Disorder Registered Dietitian Pro Symposium. 
Yeah, and you've got some incredible guests. So why don't we, yeah, why don't we just start with talking a little bit about your experience and, and, and how it kind of all came about? Sure. So um, would you like me to start with my like, career experience and kind of start there? Sure. Why don't you tell us what, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your career experience, you know, how you came to decide to be a dietitian and then, you know, where you are now. Sure. Gosh, there's so much, so much back there in the history that mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for everything that has happened that has really brought me to where I am so far today. Um, I didn't know that I wanted to be a dietitian. Um, I was an undergrad college student and really struggling to figure out what I wanted to do as a career. And um, I had struggled with a lot of disordered eating and binge eating for really most of my life and didn't know that I was struggling with that, but knew that I had uh, very secretive and shameful food issues. And I actually took a Nutrition 101 course at the University of Oregon that was taught by a registered dietitian. And that was the first time that I even came to know that you could be a dietitian um, and have a job and a career doing mm -hmm. so. But she was really inspiring and really just kind of smart and um, just kind of got me very curious into thinking like, oh, maybe I could go this direction. And then still very entrenched in disordered eating, but long story short, moved down to Southern California and ended up um, getting my degree in food and nutrition science and did my dietetic internship in LA. And then LA is where I was so fortunate enough to jump on board and start my career. And I had, it's so ironic looking back now, but I didn't have a desire to work with eating disorders at all. But my first job was at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, um, which some of you may have heard of, it's in Beverly Hills. And I was a dietitian there in their, quote, medical weight management program mm -hmm. and bariatric surgery department. And um, as you can imagine, it was... Uh, difficult to say the least as a brand new RD with very little if any exposure to like counseling training and skills um, and working with a population where the majority of people were struggling with disordered eating. So I kind of just felt like, what is this? Like, what am I doing? But I also had like a lot of intuitive skills, I think, um, in, in kind of helping these people understand somewhat of what was going on for them, but nowhere near the point of truly helping someone with an eating disorder. Um, it was all just very new. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was an, an interesting start to things, but I was only there for about six months before moving on to a corporate nutrition job. Mm -hmm. And what was your role there? So I did for a couple of years, worked with a really large like health management corporate nutrition organization who placed me at a number of different Fortune 500 companies around the LA area where I was running um, weight management programs like lunchtime lectures and all kinds of corporate nutrition um, program. So like just to get people moving and get people to lose weight and all of these things that I look back on now and I really am, I struggle with, you know, the focus of losing weight and counting calories and mm. how to manage holidays without gaining weight and all of these things, you know, that I think a lot of young dietitians are thrown into who yeah. try to get jobs, of course, you know, those mm. are, those are what a lot of the jobs are. And so that was me for sure. And I don't know how, but I was inserting intuitive eating into all of it. Um, I, like we had this um, program, it was like a 12 week weight loss lunchtime lecture course for people. Mm -hmm. So these, you know, so, all of these people are so bright, so successful working at these huge, amazing companies. And then, you know, put us all in a room for one hour over lunch and, you know, we're sitting there counting calories. Mm. Um, just, just really hard to look back on that. But um, 
but I, for example, so there was like 12 courses. So I put um, at the first slide of every single class, I put one of the 10 principles of intuitive eating in there, which makes zero sense because I introduced them to intuitive eating and then, then we were calorie counting. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how when we, um, I guess when we're first exposed to, you know, principles of intuitive eating, but really our, our training and our background is much more in control strategies it's it takes a bit of experience and and definitely some maturity and a sense of um, a support from other people in a community to kind of tease that stuff apart isn't it completely completely I mean it, it does it takes time like I want to encourage everyone to read and get the training and look at the research and the science and the data and get supervision but everybody starts from somewhere and that's where I was starting from. Yeah. Is I was thrown into this young, you know, one of my first jobs and I just, I was had to discover it, you know, and that was just part of, part of the discovery process. But as time went on, I felt more and more and more disconnected from doing that type of work and knew that there was something else I needed to be doing. Yeah. So the, you were sensing a kind of shift in yourself, were you? Mm -hmm. Right. So I went from there to uh, working with athletes, actually. So I pursued and, and got my CSSD, my sports dietitian certification. And I worked for a company that trains um, professional athletes and amateur athletes and was doing, um, you know, a lot of body composition measurement, um, counseling, um, body composition, you know, nutrition and meal planning, which was... Um, still another step towards learning about eating disorders. There's some actually a, a good amount of um, some eating disorder, like introduction to the sports dietetics um, certification. So mm -hmm. it was certainly a bridge and it was certainly a step forward, but that still didn't do it for me. You know, it still wasn't um, the job that I wanted to wake up and, and jump out of bed and go to work and mm -hmm. do, which is how I feel you know, now when I get to work with people and I know that I have the skills and the confidence to know what I'm doing and, and how I'm helping now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how it kind of, how we're all, um, along, along a journey and it's, it's, uh, I find it fascinating and, um, interesting to think about, how different opportunities come our way, different people come our way or books or blogs or, um, you know, training, training uh, oh. opportunities. Yeah. Which, which encourage us to think about things in a slightly different way and uh, give us, you know, invite us into a space where we can really e experience that sense of expansion within our practice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think everything does, you know, essentially you find the reason for everything. I, that job when I was working with mostly athletes and active people, it was actually at a high-end fitness center. Um, and, you know, I, I came to work one day and they were like, we're closing in two weeks. So you're unemployed. Mm -hmm, <laughs> and I was mm -hmm. like, oh, all right. And instead of being like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I was out of my mind excited because I was going to go start my private practice. Oh, and yes. Yeah. I, you know, I'm the type of person that if like, I'm not going to sleep for two weeks or 10 days or 10 months until like, I feel like what I have in my mind is out on paper or out on the internet or wherever it is. So I just immediately went to work hardcore, um, figuring out how I was going to open a private practice. And I did really kind of just right away. And of course, you know, wasn't busy out of the gates or anything like that, but I just became determined that this was finally my opportunity to work with people in the way that I felt was right to work with people. It sounded like you had a lot of clarity. I did. And it took, you know, that whole process between graduation and, um, opening my practice was I think about three, three and a half years. Mm -hmm. So, which isn't a long time, but it was enough time for me to dabble in different types of jobs and, and really just understand like, you know, 
what what do I not want to be doing for sure? <laughs> yeah, and also probably gave you the opportunity to hear people's stories, like real human beings, their their actual lived experiences around um, food and eating. Absolutely, yeah. In the corporate nutrition job, I was probably seeing twenty or thirty people individually all throughout the week. So for for about two years, you know, so it was a lot of outpatient one-on-one individual counseling, um, which is so important for anyone to, you know, learn how to just work with people, right? How to listen, how to ask questions, how to kind of read between the lines. And um, so essentially all of my experience has been counseling experience, which I do feel very fortunate for because I believe that's the that's the number one thing that helped me learn to feel comfortable working with people yeah yeah definitely you know having that counseling skills and eating behavior strong foundation is really at the core of our practice mm-hmm. did you do any um further training or what were the what were the um what were the steps that you dove down into with counseling skills mm-hmm yeah, I have done a, a number, a couple of different motivational interviewing trainings, um, and I've been in supervision for intuitive eating with Elise Resch for years and years. Oh, did, fantastic. Yeah, Evelyn Triboli's teleseminar courses. Um, so that's where most of my professional training came from. Yeah, it's it, and isn't it wonderful how, you know, motivational interviewing and intuitive eating, we've got... Um, you know, incredible professionals within our profession that can support us to, uh, you know, take those steps in that direction. You know, we don't necessarily have to look outside at even our own profession, which is really exciting. Yeah, so amazing. And I mean, I will say, like, I started going to big um, conferences pretty early. um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that was very formative, um, just to to hear people speak. You, You get things at conferences that you really you don't always know what you're going to get really. I mean, you can read a topic or a title, but like hearing people speak and listening to the research um, and getting out there and meeting other people. I I think that conferences are so important. So I definitely encourage like young, um, young or new people to the field to make sure they're getting out and and investing in themselves to get some education because it's so valuable. It's so valuable. So like the binge eating disorder conference and the IADEP conferences have always been um, big ones for me. Yes, and also uh, finding your community. So, for example, with IADEP or with the Binge Eating Disorder Conference, that's the kind of, I mean, my experience last year at BEDA was that, you know, you walk in the room and it's like, oh, my God, these are my people. These are my people. And it encourages you and strengthens your sense of um, of willingness to fight the good fight, so to speak, oh. and to keep going and to address diet culture for what it is, call it out for what it is, and to feel just so supported. So I couldn't agree more in, you know, finding those workshops or conferences or um, or supervision groups even that you can, you know, connect with others. So who are the, who have been really the most formative dietitians for you, do you think, or most influential? Oh, wow. That is a great question. Um, If I kind of go like chronologically, I first heard about intuitive eating when I, when I saw Evelyn Triboli speak on a, on a different topic, her Omega-3 book. Um, And I was just totally like smitten with her. I just was like instantly drawn to her and I hadn't even heard of intuitive eating yet. So I started reading her or looked up her other books and that's how I found it actually. Um, so definitely, of course, Evelyn and Elise. And um, I, the first binge eating conference I went to, uh, Rebecca Scritchfield and Leslie Schilling, and I believe it was Marcy. I think the three of them. Oh, they're so great. Oh my gosh. Uh, which was like, you know, boom. I, I mean, that was a moment for me where I was like, I like there are people like all over the country or all over the world who are doing this work and see people who are, you know, 
successful and dedicated and so smart and so passionate. Um, I think that's a huge driver in, in kind of forming, you know, or for me, what formed my vision of like where I wanted to go in my career. Um, so th those are definitely, definitely some people who formed um, and motivated me. Yes, and you've you've definitely named some of my just such favourite people, people who've really put themselves out there and offer such generous and incredible support to our profession. Uh, you know, um, obviously, Elise and, and Evelyn with their book, which, P.S., I would really recommend every single dietitian read. Would you agree, Sumner? Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah, because it's not... Um, it, it's not uh so much uh how to do uh uh natural eating it's it what it what i love about it is it breaks it down so cleverly into the individual components that allow people to understand diet culture for what it is understand the messaging and understand how seductive it is and then offers a beautiful toolkit to be able to very gently and gradually from wherever you're at to move towards that place of natural eating so it's not here tick these boxes but it is you know from wherever you're at this is what you might be dealing with this is how you might be thinking and behaving or or reacting and here are some here are some ways that you you might like to start or here are some ideas or and um it's just so beautiful and and practical both for dietitians and for the general public it's changed lives forever oh changing lives i mean i still like send my clients out the door with their um, you know, these are the things we want to start reading and listening, you know, start reading this before our next session. I mean, I think the, the book Intuitive Eating, now there's a workbook, which is awesome, but the book Intuitive Eating, it is so important for any dietitian to read. And I think it's because of the stories of the clients that they, that are told in the book Yes, to, to get the opportunity to step inside somebody who's suffering with diet, chronic dieting, to step inside and hear the narrative in their head or hear the story that they've been telling themselves for years and years and years, where they're stuck, why they're stuck, what they're hearing from their own you know, food policing brain. Those stories represent all of the people you know, that, that we're trying to help and that we're, that we're working to you know, kind of free, this, free our culture out of out of diet culture, but it's these experiences. It's the, it's the people and it's what's happening inside someone's mind and in their life. And the book does an amazing job of painting that picture by giving these client examples. Yes. And because I worry that dietitians, well, I was a great example. I didn't, if you've never sat down with someone who's shared that intimate struggle with you, you don't know how to ask about it. Mm -hmm. You don't know how to get in there. You don't know how to be sympathetic about it or compassionate towards it if you've never heard it. Mm -hmm. And so for any new dietitian or really anyone who's never worked with this population or never thinks that they have worked with the population, it's, it's a wonderful introduction to the reality, I think, of chronic dieting and how um, imprisoning it is. Yes, I think, you know, hearing people's stories firsthand, however, you can do that. And if it's simply, you know, practicing when you're listening to friends talking about um, dieting or talking about the way they feel about their body, or what I do is I really encourage students and younger dietitians just to sit back and observe, just observe our world and observe the messaging and observe mm -hmm. um, people's responses and reactions and how, and, and then to extend upon that to observe our own how we are feeling you know when we hear different messages or when we hear our friends or loved ones speaking um yeah. in bad ways towards their body you know what does that bring up in us yeah yeah and because if you're somebody who never has struggled with disordered eating i don't know how you can possibly understand it mm -hmm. or treat it um, and not that, not that you have to have struggled in order to help, but you have to have an introduction somewhere to what is, what is it that's going on? Yes. 
Yeah. So you, you need the exposure. You need to find your doorway to get into um, allowing people to feel safe and sharing their experiences, um, you know, slowing down and listening and not jumping into a weight management prescription. Like there's just so many pieces to it, but we can't do any of that work until we know how to listen and we know how to understand where the person's coming from. Oh, 100%. I think the um, the greatest gift that any dietitian can offer to another person is the gift of presence. You know, just, just being there. And I, just yesterday, I was listening to um, one of my younger uh, clients in group therapy. So I, so my business partner, Sarah, and I have group therapy called RIPE. And we've been doing this every Saturday morning for about 12 years now. Wow. And um, it's for women with uh, binge eating disorder or bulimia. And anyway, that's a little bit of an aside. But one of the, uh, one of the participants, one of the women was talking about um, that she hadn't shared her eating disorder experience either her past experience or her current experience with anybody before. And she has made a more recent friend, a male friend. And she said, for some reason, I, I really wanted to tell him. She said, I can't even describe why. We just have this really, really lovely um, understanding and really trusting friendship. And so she said, she she was very honest and she said, you know, I set it up so that, you know, uh, you know, I said things like, you know, you will never see me the same way again. And she said, I was just, I was preparing him, you know, oh. for the, for the end of this friendship. And then she said, and I told him about my eating disorder and he just, he, he listened and surprisingly, although I understand this doesn't always happen, surprisingly, he said, I get it. I've been there. And she said, it has changed my life having somebody and, and we don't necessarily, as you say, we don't necessarily have to have, have had that personal experience. Like, and certainly even if you have had that personal experience, it's not always the best or wisest or the right thing to do to say, I've been there too. <laughs> but, um, but to simply provide that space for people to be able to, um, have a judgment-free zone to express their experience and 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 cry as much as they want to, or um, you know, get get angry or upset or sad or whatever. Yeah. So it's a massive gift. So amazing. I mean, there's so many, and I'm sure you see it too. But how many of your clients um, cry in session? Yeah. And I really feel like it's not anything that I'm doing at all, mm -hmm. other than letting them stop and talk and talk, you know, without being judged. They, they've learned that I'm not going to judge them. They, you know, there are things that clients can say to us once there's that level of trust that they don't have anywhere else in their world where they can say these things. Mm -hmm. And so it's just so, I just agree with you completely. It's just the space and the patience and building some trust and not just jumping into how I'm going to fix you or yes. how we're going to fix this and how these are the things you need to do. And if you can just do it, you know, all of the things that people typically are expecting when they go to the dietitian to not do those things mm. is the best thing that anybody can do. <laughs> yes. And, and what that does also for us is that is it releases us from the pressure of knowing everything, you know, mm -hmm. so, uh, so we're not waiting to see, to be open to seeing certain people, because if we're open to not knowing everything, and I mean, look, you've been in practice for a long time, as have I, and I'm, I still feel like I've got so much to learn. So I think it can hopefully feel reassuring to younger dietitians that you never stop learning and that your greatest teachers will be your clients. Absolutely. I feel like there's so much to learn. If I really could like put my entire life on a wall <laughs> yes. and just read every book and listen to every webinar and get every piece of training, you know, there is never going to end. And it's amazing. And it's like juicy and delicious and like, makes you just want to cry because it's such great work that people in this field are doing. I'm so appreciative of it all that we have ways and resources now and science behind it for how we can help people more than really ever before. 
Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. It's, you know, now is the time really um, it's it, it's really exciting and it's so great that we have this international community of people who we all have similar very similar professional and and for some of us personal experiences and yet we're literally on the opposite side of the planet and it just goes mm -hmm. to show that this sense of co the common human experience and also the common dietitian experience too I guess it is. It's amazing. I'm getting goosebumps right now because I'm like, it's true. It really is true. And I'm like, I'm just so grateful that, um, you know, the learning is never going to stop. There is so much, but I think for it, you know, if anyone feels like, oh my gosh, how will I ever learn enough to, to you know, market myself as an eating disorder dietitian? It's like, well, get some good training, um, get some good resources and you've got to begin practicing. Yeah, 100%. And on that note, um, uh, I would, I personally would really recommend um, if anybody's listening to this and thinking, okay, well, that's nice, you know, what training? Um, I'd really recommend Marcy Evans online eating disorder training because A, you can do it in your own time, which is always a bonus, as we know, and people yeah. are busy. Um, and B, it, I, I found it personally really relevant. So it doesn't matter if you're in the UK or if you're in Australia, Canada, the States, wherever you are, I actually found it really transferable right across the board. And of course, Marcy is just so experienced. So for anybody listening who's thinking, okay, well, that's nice, but where do I actually start? Then I'll pop the link to her training in the notes so you can go take a look. Definitely. I would hands down agree. Marcy's amazing, inspiring, so brilliant. And she has put in the work, you know, she, yes, has, she has worked her butt off um, to become a leader in the field. And I respect her so very much for that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So speaking of leaders in the field, Sumner, um, you are definitely, definitely um, in that category, I would say. And even though we can't see each other, I think I would imagine that you might feel a teeny bit embarrassed about hearing that but that's truly definitely how I see you and I guess I wanted to I wanted you to share a little bit about EDRD Pro and particularly how that came about like when did this idea um, come up and and I can imagine once you <laughs> once you got yourself excited about it I can imagine it was all guns blazing <laughs> well it was about a 24-hour um gestation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> between idea and logo and and plan oh of action. my god so you are a, like on go that's it <laughs> it was on go and um it so i was i was motivated and inspired by a training for um like a different piece of my work that wasn't an eating disorder work but it was an online symposium um and that brought brought about the idea and I just realized oh my gosh like there are all these amazing experts who want to share and have so much brilliance to share this is just a way to make it all available to people who can't or don't have the time to travel to conferences or don't have the resources or the ability to get away like we now live in an age where we don't have to get on an airplane to get education. Mm -hmm. um, and not that there isn't an incredible, huge benefit to going to in-person conferences. Don't get me wrong. Um, sure. I just felt like there's another way we can do this to help people. All I want to do is disseminate this information to as many people around the world as possible. Um, so EDRD Pro is just about that. It's making top quality training for non-diet, eating disorder, and health at every size professionals. It's making it available and more convenient, which, um, which is kind of how this all came about. Yes. Oh, I just love it. And I, and I, when I know when we were initially in touch about it, I was just blown away by the, by the innovation and creativity of it. And, um, even though, you know, you say you were inspired by another kind of similar, um, similarly organized, um, um, symposium I think that you know the skill to be able to <laughs> pull this together oh my gosh I'm just totally blown away so tell us a little bit about 
um, some of the speakers. You don't have to give away, you know, lots of detail, but maybe a little sneaky peek. What can we expect? Sure. Okay. So you can expect a lot of health at every size woven in throughout all of it. Um, there's 15 total speakers. So 15 recorded webinar trainings. Um, I think one of the one of the great highlights is that uh, we're able to feature Reagan Chastain, who mm-hmm. is an international speaker, um, fat activist, size acceptance author, blogger, and she she's so awesome. She tells it like it is. She's incredibly passionate about educating people on what is size acceptance, what is health at every size. And you can just, when you listen to her, you just feel, you know, the goodness. You just mm. feel that the vibration of like, this is not okay. What, what is happening in diet culture is not okay. Yeah. And we cannot stay quiet about it. And so she's yes. incredibly motivating, which is what I love. And I'm, I'm so happy she's in the symposium because I think she helps really light that fire <laughs> under people yeah. when they hear her speak. Um, so she's so awesome. And we've got, I mean, amazing pioneers in the field and the last 50 years, 30 to 50 years of eating disorder work. Um, but um, I'm sorry, Carolyn Costin, you know, the original, the founder of Montanito and affiliate um, author of so many books. She's such an amazing, brilliant woman. And Elise Resch, who has been my personal supervisor, friend, mentor, Um, and I just, I mean, I can't even just describe that, how cool it is to be able to share, um, these webinars with people everywhere who maybe don't even, you know, not even sure who these people are yet, but Mm -hmm. they certainly will if they continue in the eating disorder world. So very excited about this group of professionals. So suitable for people at all levels of experience from, from no experience right through to people who've been in the field for a while. So I would describe it at most, the majority is level one and about probably about 30% level two. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, I still would be greatly interested in all of them, even though I've heard some of it before, or maybe it's not all brand new content. Um, there's a lot of new research incorporated into the talks, which is always important, even if it's a topic you've had training on before. Yeah. Um, so I think definitely it's appropriate for early learners, level two learners, and even more experienced dietitians who just want to hear sort of the latest and greatest of, of the research. Yeah. And also one thing I was thinking about is that um, as well as just wanting to soak up everybody's wisdom, <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's a, a um, I guess it's a hobby of mine is wisdom soaking. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but also um, often eating disorder professionals, we tend to maybe work in one particular subgroup. So whether that is maybe inpatient or whether it is more with people with binge eating disorder or more people with um, anorexia, for example, or certain um, like maybe adolescents or families. Um, so I think there's always something to learn. And what I love most about, oh, I'm so I'm so excited about hearing Reagan, is what we can what we can understand about just the very core of health at every size and the non diet approach, and how we can integrate that into um, into recovery. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She she talks about the importance of that of, of like how how far can you really go in eating disorder recovery if you're not really online with health at every size you know there will be limitations to recovery if we yeah. don't address it yes true and it also puts people in a position where they're more likely to relapse as well right mm-hmm. right and we and we see this in practice so there's such a beautiful marriage there between you know health at every size and and recovery regardless of where your body starts, where your body ends. I I think it's just so relevant right across the board because ultimately it's about, um, you know, that path to peace and that path to finding a calm and confident relationship within your body and with food. Yes. Yes. And I have this like fantasy in my mind (laughs) that, um, 
everyone who attends EDRD Pro will be able to kind of take all of these pieces of information and become experts in speaking to um, people in the world around them and doctors and other professionals, other dietitians, therapists, in helping disseminate all of this knowledge even further. Like I want people to get this training and then learn how to go into their community and talk to a doctor's group or um, talk, talk in their local um, dietitian chapters about this information and just keep spreading it and keep spreading it. I think that's kind of, I think there, there's, there's so much in here in the research and in all of the different talks that um, I think people will be just kind of blown away with where they can go with all of it. Yeah, I, I love the idea of adv advocacy. I love it. And I think that that fantasy is not unrealistic, to be honest. I think um, when we when we are equipped with uh, more confidence and more information, then we certainly can go out and share and share in in circles or in professional settings that we may not have been willing to before. So I, I, I think that's brilliant. And one of the um, one of the really special things about working with dietitians is that I personally believe that we are in such a great position to be able to make really meaningful change, not only in individuals' lives, but then groups, communities, and, and you know, that broader sense of community around the world. Right. And, you know, I'm just thinking about your talk, Fiona, which you're doing, which I'm so grateful on uh, working you. with the athlete culture mm -hmm. um, and how much opportunity there is there, you know, within with coaches and parents and student athletes or even, um, you know, higher level athletes with just I mean, it's an untapped kind of community, I feel like mm -hmm. it needs so much work and there's so much opportunity and you give us a great foundation and a great framework of how do we approach this um, without it being a fist fight. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so so much, Sumna. I really appreciate that beautiful feedback. Um, I think that what I what I really tried to bring to that particular um, to that particular presentation was really the idea that a we can have influence. Um, that B, recognizing and acknowledging that that sports and athlete culture is a pretty strong, like it's, it is pretty strong. Mm -hmm. um, and that C, that athletes are a particularly at risk group in terms of disordered eating and, and um, poor relationship with their body. But at the same time, they also have this incredible opportunity to, um, to, to be able to improve and increase their performance when they're able to fuel their bodies from a place of care rather than a place of control. And that's, it can be a bit of a dilemma for athletes really, because as I speak about a lot of the traits that make for a good athlete also can come together in a kind of messy way when it comes to eating disorders as well. Right. Right. The super, super dedicated, super diligent, extremism kind of mm -hmm. yeah yeah mm -hmm. I was yeah. an athlete growing up and um you know it's just kind of like I I feel like the extent to which eating disorders were mentioned throughout all of my levels of um you know I played soccer basically from the time I was like four years old until I was 18 and and other sports too but I just feel like the most I ever heard about anything was maybe a mention from like a team mom that was about like, you know, make sure you don't restrict too much or something like that. Like mm -hmm. restrict a little, but not too much because then you won't have the energy to play. Like mm -hmm. it, it just nothing. It makes me sad to remember and to think back about how many people were struggling and there just was no support and there was no education. I mean, that was a while back, of course. Now I don't know how different it is now though in student athlete cultures. Yeah, I think there probably is a lot more support and a lot more awareness, but still the pressure on young athletes to perform at that very high level. And even the athletes who are not at that top top elite level but they're aiming for that top elite level the pressure on them is 
is incredible and some people are willing actually to do whatever it takes including harming themselves to you know make that step because I suppose for for athletes and for other dedicated individuals that maybe there's not that forethought of okay if I take this step to do these behaviors then it could put me at risk of an eating disorder I'm mm -hmm. not convinced that that's the thinking pattern <laughs> right right just not just not having the awareness because it's not really presented that way to yeah exactly and I'm not sure who said it it might have actually been you and if it was then that's pretty brilliant I can't remember um, somebody said along the way I've heard it recently nobody sets out to get an eating disorder you don't you don't think oh I'll start for example counting calories or I'll start weighing myself thinking I'm doing this and this will is is where I'll end up mm -hmm. you know nobody yeah. nobody sets out it's a bit of a it's a it's kind of a slippery slope, isn't it? Right, right. Just so much, and it's just, you know, like you said, is is the gun loaded? And um, what's the trigger? Who pulls mm -hmm. the trigger? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so many factors. Oh, my gosh. Um, so one question, just to take a little bit of a segue, one question that I really wanted to ask you, because you speak about this just so beautifully. If I was to ask you um, how you define or how do you describe or talk about diet culture in your work, like if you're writing about it or if you were speaking about it with a group, um, how, how, do you, how do you explain it? Okay. Well, I think, you know, I think there's so many different parts to diet culture. You know, I think there's the obvious part, which is um, the people that we see um, around us and the messaging every day in advertisements and even things that aren't supposed to be advertisements, right? Maybe the cover of our protein powder, whatever the image is. I think there's the obvious images of the thin ideal and the lean ideal that we have in our culture that is constantly, um, constantly reinforced. Sending, yes, constantly reinforced and constantly sending us a message that our bodies are supposed to look a certain way. Mm -hmm even when it's not written out for you or it's nobody's saying that to you directly, your body's supposed to look like this, your body's supposed to look like this, but it's, it's obvious, but at the same time, it's sort of like subliminal, like yes. it's everywhere. It is everywhere. We watched the most brilliant documentary recently at the IADEP conference called the illusionist. Mm. And it's about the globalization of beauty and it's incredible. I think everybody should, you can rent it online for like $8 or something. Um, but ever since I saw that last month, I have been noticing toy, like it, it talks about how toys for young girls now, the shapes of the bodies and then the, how big their eyes are and how tiny their waists are. And they're all wearing high heels. I mean, I noticed that like in the Mickey Mouse Club, why does Min why do Minnie and Daisy have to be wearing high heels all the time? Mm -hmm. um, so our diet culture has been created and and kind of now is manifested into this like um, if you're not looking the way that in the way that you're going to get the most attention and the most positive reinforcement for then your worth is, is lower. Your mm -hmm. value as a human is lower. Mm -hmm. You should be striving for better and you should be worried about it. You should be trying to fix it. You should be trying to change yourself. Um, so diet culture is oppressive. It's depressive. Mm. Um, it's, it's just, I think it's like a, a cultural illness telling people that we're all supposed to look the same when really we're not. Nobody's supposed to look the same. Why would right. we want everybody to look the same? It has nothing to do with health. Diet culture has nothing to do with health. Mm. It has everything to do with consumerism. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You explained that so beautifully. Thank you. Um, now, you have a young daughter. She's um, not even at preschool yet. So what are you, yeah. how are you, as, as a mum, 
Um, how, what are your thoughts as to how you can guide her within this culture in which she will be a part of? Um, you know, what are your kind of plans for her? What, how, how are you kind of setting things up to help her navigate the culture? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say that I have all the answers. Of course, <laughs> I don't. You, you know, don't? Oh, my mom. God, Summer. <laughs> I'm a first-time mom. I am highly, highly aware of the risks, um, the risks to her of, you know, what she's going to absorb into her little brain about herself and her body based on what she's exposed to. Mm. So I really try to limit her exposure to, uh, messaging that I don't think aligns with, you know, how we want to live our lives. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't watch a lot of commercials really at all. If she, if she has, you know, things that she's watching on TV, it's um, not going to have commercials in it. Of course, you know, I can't control that for her whole life, but that's kind of one thing that I try to be really aware of. Um, and I'm not saying this is the right thing to do at all. Every parent needs to do what they think is right. But yeah, for sure. My daughter doesn't have any princess things. She's never seen a princess um, movie or I mean, she, she doesn't even really know what princesses are. She loves trains and airplanes and dinosaurs and turtles and dogs. And yeah. it's really amazing. Um, and it's not like I'm taking full credit for that or anything at all. That's just who she is. But I do think that what kids see and what they're exposed to, like even to like the types of gifts that they're given and the types of, you know, toys and dress up things that they may have, that can, that shapes, you know, some of their belief system and, and the way that they see kind of who they should be. Mm -hmm. um, so I just try really hard to let her be her without having me intervene on that of, um, you know, providing too much, like, this is what you should be because you're a female. You yes. Know, I try to not do that. And do many people, Sumner, um, comment on her appearance in any way? Um, you know, I, of course, I think she's an adorable child, Yeah, um, of course. but you know, no, we don't, I don't really think anybody comments. She's very much like, um, she's, she's just a, a, a fun little girl who doesn't want to ever get her hair cut yet so far. So she's got mm -hmm. hair all over the place, doesn't want to wear a ponytail. So hair in her eyes and, you know, she loves to play outside and she's just, like she wants to wear her Thomas the train sweatshirt every day. And so that's fine with me. Yes. But, um, you know, I'm not going to put these like limitations on like, we don't wear dresses or we don't do this or we don't do this again. I'm going to let her come into her own and just be who she is. Yes. Um, naturally. And if, when, if people do comment, I, I, of course, I think it's interesting. I really do. I'm like, huh, what do you mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so but, you know, I haven't really yet her, she's two and a half. So I haven't really had to deal with, um, yeah. You know, yet. These are a lot of the questions that parents ask me is, you know, what do I do when, um, my, um, you know, my, when my extended family or when we, you know, run into people at, the shops, for example, you know, and uh, my kids, or my, usually it's daughters, unfortunately, you know, my daughters are commented on their appearance, even if it's, oh my gosh, look at your hair, or what a pretty dress, or, you know, those typical just appearance-based comments that are really like a euphemism just for a greeting. Like instead of greeting somebody as in hello, we tend uh -huh. to say, oh my gosh, I love that sweatshirt, or I love that dress, or, and there's nothing wrong with commenting on people's lovely clothes but when we're doing it all the time it just it sends that message to our kids that well a that's how we greet people and b that's what makes them valuable yeah totally I agree and it's I mean I one of the things that I like to work with a lot especially with younger or teenage clients is I will really directly tell them like you know let's practice looking at people in the eyes. Mm. Let's not body check. Let's not scan someone's body when you see them. How about looking at someone in the eyes and just letting their looks and their body and their size be none of our business? Oh, I love that. Just, and I think it's really helpful for people to try to focus on that. Like when you're with someone or talking to someone or when you meet someone, it's looking them in the eyes and 
hi, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and really and, saying them as a human. Yes. Listening to what people are saying instead of looking at people and comparing bodies. Mm, yes. Yes. They compare, they're all comparing and despairing. <laughs> I mean, how many people miss what's really going on because they're so absorbed with either their own self-consciousness or comparing, you know, comparing bodies or comparing people in the room. And I just feel like people miss so much of life because they're so caught up in inadequacies and comparison. And it's just so sad because there's so much great stuff in life. If you really stop and look around. Yeah. Yeah. And these are incredible, talented, um, kind, amazing people in our community who are really not living an optimal life because of mm -hmm. being so distracted by, yeah. um, by, yeah, by feeling inadequate, as you said. Yeah. And I think if you stop and ask most people, like, what do you really value in someone? Nobody really values whose no. sizes are smaller or bigger. Mm -hmm. And so they have that innate understanding, mm -hmm. but they have to be reawakened to it. Yes. Yes. For themselves. Yes. Yeah. And then, yeah, to be able to apply it within which is, the, right. which is the hard bit when we've been saturated in this culture since, you know, since day dot, really. Um, right. And uh, one thing I'm beginning to understand a little bit more, too, is the tra transgenerational influences, you know, how we are raised in our own families and extended families. And, um, you know, the difference between, say, working with a teenager um, or young adult versus working with, say, um, someone in their 50s or 60s and you know what that generation has experienced mm -hmm, completely it's really how long have those messages been reinforced and mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and what um, and what were the what were the primary cultural messages for say a 50 year old growing up versus a 20 year old growing up you know it's really different and i think if we can as dietitians if we can ask those questions about you know what was your experience what did you hear what did you see um what did you absorb i think it can really tell us a lot about um, how different people have experienced life Completely. And it's so important to hear that from someone and not to assume that you know what is going on in their head. We can't assume. And, you know, and then you'll just hear the most fascinating stories of why, why these beliefs are so ingrained and why they're so important for them to hold on to. Oh, yeah. Really rooted so deeply so much of the time. It's hard for them to let it go. Yes. And sometimes it feels important to keep it even when it's hurting. Mm -hmm. mm, because it, you yeah. know, it may have represented a body control may have represented um, acceptance or love or something that actually is, it's actually really important, but it, it then gets turned in on, on ourselves and ends up hurting. Right. If someone's mom, you know, if they grew up hearing their mom say something for 30 years mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden we ask them to challenge that belief, mm -hmm. that's like, that's like turning their back on their mom or saying their mom mm -hmm. was wrong right? or defying someone or something. And so it's really, it, you just have to be so gentle with it, I think. And yeah. This all goes back to like what we were talking about earlier with first establishing some trust yeah. with your client, first yeah. having the trust, and then you get the ability to, you know, ask these questions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with, and with that trust, I guess, not only asking the questions, but then you'll get the meaningful um, you'll get the meaningful answers, which are not yours. Therefore your client, you know, when they speak their experience, I think that's when the healing happens. It's not that you have to put it back in the box or, um, you know, be afraid that they're going to, you know, break apart. Actually great healing comes from the person sitting in front of you, telling their story, being heard wow. and then feeling a sense of containment around that. Yes, totally. I mean, I don't know about you, but anytime I've ever been in therapy, mm -hmm. like 
It's exactly what you just said. Like the moment something comes out of my mouth is when that's, you know, that's what I really needed to hear, right? Like, <laughs> From yourself. You're yeah. like, why am I paying for this again? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, like this, this really is true. This really goes through my head or this really was my experience. Or but I think you're exactly right is that the, the therapeutic piece of it is getting people to understand their own history and their own beliefs yes yes so we're in a way we're the very privileged conduits of mm. of that experience right right mm, yeah uh so i wanted you to tell us a little bit about so um it's now uh it, it's heading towards edrd pro launch date so tell us a little bit about um the days leading up to the launch and how people can register from here like where do they go um if if they haven't already registered um and what will be happening from here Okay, great. So if anyone's interested in learning more, you can go to eattolivehappy.com. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the home where EDRD Pro lives. And you'll see right there in the menu, you can select, uh, go to the symposium, and you can see the entire lineup of the speakers and their bios and the talks that will be presented. And then there's links right in there to go ahead and get registered if someone is interested. Oh, that's fantastic. And when it's, is it launching on, is it the 25th? It's April 28th. April 28th. And that's, uh, that's Pacific time. So okay. that'll actually be the 24th for you, correct? Uh, no, 29th for us. So 28th. Oh, or 20, yeah. 28th for you. Yeah, um, 28th 29th for us. us. 29th for you. So yeah. each morning of the symposium, um, the webinars for the day will be released and sent out. And then it is a watch at your own pace. So what I mean by that is you can, um, you will be able to download all of the webinars and literally watch them whenever you're ready. So it's not that you have to force yourself through if you don't have the time to watch all of the webinars on every day of the four days of the symposium. Mm -hmm. We'd love for you to just kind of stay up to speed and talk and engage with the experts in the closed Facebook group. Yes. And get some bonuses and the fun giveaways and all this great content. But if you can't stay on top of watching all of them, it's okay too. The content is yours to keep. Oh, amazing. And so if you're, you know, living remotely or you're, you've just got a really busy time coming up or you've got young kids um, and you have to pause and <laughs> keep coming back to things. I mean, I'm talking about this from personal experience where I've had to literally pause so many webinars and, you know, bookmark yeah. so many books and come back to them. But just knowing that it's there for you and you can go back and, and re and re-listen to things, um, that it's, oh, it's just such a wonderful opportunity. So everyone, if you, if you haven't already registered, then jump on because it's a really a unique opportunity to hear from some really incredible experts in a, a wide variety of areas. So, um, and, and Sumner, you, you mentioned your website, which is eat to live happy.com. So, um, what are, uh, wh where else can people find you apart from your website? Um, so on Instagram, you'll find me. I'm at intuitive eating RD. And then we also have Instagram for EDRD pro, which is just at EDRD pro. And, um, I'm on Twitter at my dietitian. Yep. And on Facebook, if you just um, search for at EDRD Pro, that'll take you right to the Not on a Diet Facebook page, which was my old, old business Facebook page. And it just has morphed into now EDRD Pro. Oh, that's fantastic. So there's lots of different platforms where people can find you and find um, also groups of people that have come together that are, are really passionate about um, eating disorder recovery and making peace with food and, and eating. So it, it's great. It's not just, it hasn't just, you've created this beautiful sense of, of community and people all coming into the same space to chat. It's cool. Oh, thank you. Not, not, not very different from the Mindful Dietitian, which I love that group and I love that you've started that. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a really cool space because I feel like we can have these great discussions and, you know, we don't always have to agree on things. Um, but if, you, if you're curious about, you know, how do um, eating disorder professionals operate or, for example, uh, you know, what's the difference between intuitive eating and mindful eating, then you're sure to find a discussion, interesting discussion oh, yeah. on, that, <laughs> on that group. It's great how active it is. I just love it. I think it's just, it's such a great way for people to communicate. And, and it is really, really cool and special that we're getting to form these groups of colleagues around the world now. I love it. Yeah. It's just so important to not feel alone, isn't it? Particularly when, um, when you're, when you're working in a pretty tough area, you know, eating, working with people with eating disorders can be, it can be tough work. Um, just because, um, just because it's, you know, people are going through just such enormous, enormous stuff in their lives. And to be, you know, the privileged support person means that we also need our own support. So to have that sense of community around us and people to say, hey, you're not alone, just, you know, reach out or don't forget your supervisor or <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Great support in there, I think. Just yeah. Great to have a place to ask questions, you know, and ask for help if we need it. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Because it's always somebody who will have a, a good response, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sumner, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I just really, really appreciate you giving your time. And I, I just, I cannot imagine how busy you are with only, you know, with less than a week to go until the launch. So mm -hmm. no doubt at all, you've got everything, everything all lined up and, and ready to go. And I'm just so excited for you. So congratulations on an incredible, uh, I was going to say venture, but maybe it's a bit more of an adventure. And, um, yeah, really, really look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you so much, Fiona, for having me on. It's been so fun talking with you. You too. Okay, then we'll chat soon. Okay, bye-bye. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Hope you enjoyed it and please join us again next time. Just a reminder, we can be found at www.themindfuldietitian.com.au or you'll find over a thousand of us now over on the closed Facebook page, The Mindful Dietitian. See you there soon. Bye.